0: chapter 19. That's why we act. And if you have that much issues, there were, well, that one, there's not a songbook for that one. So, if you, if, you have, if you have more comments, there's a box that you can use, okay? Let me show you. In case of anybody ever wondered, we do have a box for all your comments. It's right here by this door. This, it's right here. So this is right here for all the comments. So if you ever have one, make sure it gets put there. And I'm just teasing. If you've got comments, you can text me. And I'll uh, look at them and pray over it. So no, you can't put it in a trash can if it's on a phone, so I'm not gonna put my phone in there. So I don't I don't delete any messages on my phone. Every message I ever get is always on my phone. Because if anybody ever says, Pastor said this to me, you can look at my phone and see every word I've ever said. when I changed phones and got a new phone, they're like you have 10, to ten gigabytes? Is that would that be right? Uh, i got to figure out how to do that. But anyway, so he's like, you have 10 gigabytes of messages. Why don't you just delete them? Well, my phone's got 64 gig on there, and I don't even use 25 of them. So they can just stay right there. And I do that on purpose. There's a reason behind it. Because I've had people a few times say, Pastor, remember how you told me this? Did I? Yeah, we were texting. All right, let's go back and look and see what I said. And so... And then I'm like, oh yeah, I did say that, my bad. And then it's right there in front of me so we can see that. But a couple of announcements I'll we'll run through. This Sunday, I'm excited for our Harvest Festival. We have right now tickets online that have been free tickets that people have gotten. It's about 250 right now. And that's, And then we should have a great crowd here Sunday night. I want to encourage you, to, um, if you are helping in an area, make sure you're here to help. And we need to pray for God to work. And the whole reason of it is to give the gospel out. And we're going to do something different this year that we've never done before. And right around 5 o'clock, right in the middle, we're going to stop everything and ask as many people that will come into the auditorium. I'm going to have a raffle for something. And I'm going to give a, go- a clear gospel presentation here. Because what happens sometimes is, Louie, you have witnessed, and I know um, Joyce has before, Edna, you try and get those people to stop and talk to with their kids. They, aren't, they don't want to stop and talk. So if you stop everything, and if they don't want to come in, no one has to come in. But if I can get them in here and give a clear gospel presentation and take 10, 15 minutes, we'll open everything back up. But I think it'd be a great way to help that. Last year, when we did, and just so you know, it's coming up before too long, our turkey giveaway and grocery giveaway. The past several years, we'd go to a park, and we had five or 600 people And we had about 20 or 30 that trusted Christ. And I even wonder if all of... It was just, there's too many people and trying to get everybody focused in. So this last year, we had everyone come to church. And I played a video here. We had our lowest attendance ever. We had about 86 people come for it. But we had over 40 trust Christ as their Savior. And I know for a fact that they got a great gospel presentation. And the spirit was just completely different. That's why we're going to do it here again because if you can get them out of the element for a minute and get them to hear the gospel and get their attention for a couple of minutes. So we're going to try it this year with the fall fair and see how it goes. And so I looked, thank you to everyone who's brought candy. Uh, there's been a few people ask me, could we use more candy? I really don't think there's ever enough candy. And so I would much rather, you know what I would not like to have happen? We have 300 people show up, and I bet we'll have three to 400 when it's all said and done. Hey, for all those people to show up and be like, oh, the game's got to close down. We only lasted a half hour because there's not enough candy. I'd much rather at the end have to say, all right, teachers, give these out in your classes because we have a little bit of extra candy. Or else, church, here's some candy. And, you know, <laughs> do that or whatever. And, uh, pastor, here's a bag of Milky Ways for you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, so if you would like to bring more candy, we could use just a little bit more. That would be a great thing. And then um, some of you... It's funny a lot of people on Friday night I mentioned a few weeks ago and there's a flyer in the foyer about a date night activity and so, for some reason several people thought that it was here and we were doing it here because of all that's going on we I'm not like we don't have anything going on here with it There's a church it was First Baptist in Pomona it's purpose church now they have a marriage comedy night and they got two Christian comedians I've watched them on YouTube to see because you hear Christians sometimes and you think, does that mean that they're clean or not? And they're very clean. It'll be a fun evening. If you are interested in going, it will not be here. It's in Pomona at First Baptist there, or Purpose Church. It's on Gary, I believe. But there's a flyer in the foyer. You go online and buy your own ticket. You don't, I don't do anything for you. That way, if you don't want to go and you, or you sign up and then you don't come, I don't buy a ticket for you and then we're out money because of it. So if you're interested in that, that's this Thursday night. register online if you have kids that need to be watched we did say we would help with that and so friday night yes what did i say sorry i meant friday i was thinking friday said thursday don't you hate when your brain thinks one thing and your mouth says something else yeah it happens every once in a while so that will be this friday and then a week from sunday the november 3rd we have brother joe mark we're having revival meetings on sunday monday tuesday and wednesday I'm going to mention it on, sometimes when he comes, we go all the way through Friday. We're going through Wednesday is where we're going to, we're going to, um, where we'll have a sign up sheet. I'm going to try and make things, we're going to try and have a dinner each evening. Simple, cheap, not to where everyone is slaving to do it, but where we do it cheap and everyone pays for their own. And so service would be starting at six, we could come at five or 5.15, Dinner will be ready to go. We eat, then we're able to come to service and just help with those couple of nights. Because sometimes you work all day, then you try and get a meal and eat and then get to church. We'll try and help you out with that. And so I'll have a sign-up sheet on Sunday. And Caroline also could use, so you have extra services on Monday and Tuesday night. So on Monday and Tuesday night, we need a few nursery workers. So if you're able to help with that, that would be great. And if you can help with the nursery, see Caroline and... Uh, Whenever I just watch the kids, I just lock them in a room and sit outside and just stick my head up to the door and just listen. And as long as they're fine, it's all good. Revelation chapter 19 tonight is where we are. And everyone's got an outline that needs one. I'm going to steal an outline from you down there just so I can make sure I stick on point. Sometimes I get off on a rabbit trail or something and I've got to find my way back. And having two separate things sometimes helps. We've been going through and talking about Biblical prophecy and talking about the way the Bible says it. A lot of people have a lot of opinions. Do you need another copy right there? Russ needs one right there. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about biblical prophecy. And I'm trying to go through and give you what the Bible says. And we're not going into details about, you know, the toes in Daniel, the ten toes and what the toenails stand for and all of those things. We're, sticking the, we're not going that deep into it. But we start out, the next event to take place is going to be the rapture. At some point, Jesus is coming, and he's going to gather his children home. We're going to meet the Lord in the air and be with the Lord forever, starting at that time. When we meet the Lord in the air, and he's going to come, his coming, you've got to understand, his second coming is, you can almost split it up into two separate events because the rapture, he does not come to earth. We meet him in the air. We'll be going back up to be with him, and that's when the judgment seat of Christ will take place and the marriage supper of the Lamb that we looked at last week. Here on earth during the time of the tribulation, there will be seven, a seven-year period that takes place. We read in the book of Daniel how the Antichrist will sign a treaty with Israel for seven years, and that will kick off the seven years Of tribulation here on earth. And during that time, we see the vials that are poured out, the judgments that are released, and you see a lot of people, a lot of death during that time. You see the Antichrist rise in power, and you see an awful time in this world, worse than it's ever seen before. And it's all building up to an event that's going to take place. That event is the Battle of Armageddon and the Second Coming of Jesus Christ the first time Jesus came the world didn't even most people didn't even realize he came the Jews were looking for someone to save them from the Roman oppression and yet they missed out on the fact that he came no one's going to miss out on the fact that he comes a second time You go back to the Garden of Eden over 6,000 years ago. All the human drama that's unfolded in this world, and a drama is a good word for it. Since the day man sinned in the Garden, the whole history of humanity is building towards one point. And that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Where he returns to earth to take the throne of David to reign in power and glory and glory. Think about this. When Jesus was here on earth, he made many promises. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He said in the book of Revelation 22 at the end there, surely I come quickly. We see the verses about the fact that the Lord is going to return. There have been a lot of famous men in history that say a lot of things, and what they say is not always the truth. Nixon said, I'm not a crook. Just think about that one there. Bush said, read my lips, no new taxes. What happened? Clinton said, I had no sexual relations with that woman. We're not going to get into our latest set of presidents because we could do go through some other things. The gist of it is men say a lot of things. And men don't tell the truth often when they say things. What I want you to understand tonight as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we've looked at the Bible, we've got to understand something. Jesus is coming again. The day is coming. And some people look and say, well, He said He's going to come. When's He going to come? He's going to come when it's time for Him to come. One thing I can be assured of tonight, I don't trust what men say, but I can tell you this, if Jesus said He's coming, then guess what? He's coming I want to take a little bit of time tonight and talk to you about the king is coming number one we see his coming will be visible you're there in chapter number 19 of revelation i want you to look with me down at verse number 11 so last week we looked at the marriage supper of the lamb that takes place the first part of chapter number 19 and we see in verse number 11 it says and i saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war now jesus the first time he came to earth he was a baby in a manger look at how the bible describes him here in verse number 12 his eyes were as flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with the rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great god remember i told you there are two suppers that take place the marriage supper of the lamb that's where you want to be but there's also this supper of the great god where all the fowls of the air are called to eat up the carcasses of all the dead bodies that christ takes care of at the battle of armageddon verse number 18 tells us that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, the flesh of all men both free and bond, both small and great. Verse 19 says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Unlike the rapture. At the rapture, no one's going to know why people disappear. There's going to be ideas... It had to be the global warming. It just took out a bunch of people. Where did they go? You know, one person was spraying that aerosol can. Next thing you know, they're gone. And the people would have been more careful with this. Or there's some, someone's got this or that. There's going to be some, because the Bible says that the rapture's like, he comes as a thief in the night. Jesus will come and steal away his bride and take them to heaven. But when Jesus returns the second time in power, everyone will know that he's here. And I want you to see what the Bible says about Christ at this time. Letter A, we see underneath, number one, we see the appearance of Jesus. The appearance of Jesus. We see several things about his appearance here at his second coming. Number one, underneath that, we see his nature. Verse 11 and 12. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he did judge and make war. His eyes were as the flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. From this description, it sounds a little differently. And she brought forth her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. That sounds a little different than who's coming at the second coming. His nature underneath that, we have a little letter A. He is full of glory. The Bible tells us here that Jesus wears on his head many crowns. You see that there in verse number 12? And on his head were many crowns. Now, now, do you have Revelation chapter 6, verse number 2 on there? No? Okay, hold your place here. And go back to Revelation chapter 6 for a minute. Revelation 6 is talking about the Antichrist, who it's talking about. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 1. It says, And I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And look at verse number 2. And I saw and beheld a white horse, And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Revelation 6 verse number 2 is talking about the Antichrist right here. Do you see how it's worded here and how it says he was given a crown? The word here for this crown is kind of like a victor's crown. The word Stephanos, Literally, it was an olive leaf crown that were given to victors at the Greek Olympic Games. That's it's basically he was given a crown to wear during that time. Now you go back with me to chapter number twenty, and you see our chapter nineteen here, and it says, "And on his head were many crowns." Jesus here, the word for crowns, it's diadems, which refers to crowns of royalty. And while Christ had, you think about this, well, the Antichrist was given a crown jesus christ has a crown because he is the king of kings and lord of lords and whether men like to acknowledge it or not when he came the first time he was king of kings and lord of lords and when he comes the second time they will know without a doubt that he is king of kings and lord of lords people won't be able to pretend that jesus christ is not lord one day they'll see him and his sovereignty will be revealed in his great power and his glory. You see, as we talk about him being full of glory, the Bible says here that his eyes were as flames of fire. The flames of fire speak of the holiness of God. When he returns the second time, he's not going to be a lamb to be slaughtered. He's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He returns not in, huma- in humility, but he returns in power, authority, and glory, far different than the first time. Bible talks about the first time he came to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as the man. The Bible says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The book of Isaiah talks about that he was despised and rejected a man. He was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. However, this time when he comes, he's not going to be a man that's rejected. He's not going to be a man that is, he humbles himself to death. He's coming in authority. He's coming in all glory, and the world will see Jesus Christ for who he truly is. He's not coming to suffer next time. He's coming to judge, and the Father's given all judgment to the Son. He doesn't come to die again. He comes to bring death upon all those who defied Him and despised Him when He returns in power and glory. And Christians, something we need to remember and something that would help you in your Christian life, you need to remember who Jesus is. What it says right here in Revelation chapter 19, this is Jesus right here. Yes, we think of the man that walked here on earth, that lived a sinless life, that did all these miracles, that did all these wonderful things. But I want you to understand something. He put on flesh so he could die for our sins. Jesus Christ, yes, he was man, but he is God. Just as much as God the Father is God, Jesus Christ is just as much God. And there's no doubt about it. And He is full of glory. And if we could get a hold of this today, we should worship Him that way. He deserves our praise. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We see here letter A. We see He's full of glory. Letter B, He is faithful and true. I'm sure that for many that have looked or have thought that Jesus, why hasn't he come, and why is he never returned? I well, want you to understand something. He's faithful, and he's true. He will keep his word forever. What he says he will do, guess what? He is going to do. Go with me to... This isn't in the notes. Let's go to 1 Peter. Let's go there. Say so which chapter I'll tell you in a minute. And once you get to 1 Peter, I want you to go to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter 3, I found it. This second epistle, chapter 3, verse number 1, Beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stirred up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, look at verse number three, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, since the fathers died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. "...whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished." Talking about Noah and the flood. "...but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day." You know, it's a great thing, Barbara, to celebrate 80 years of living, right? That's not even an hour or so to, to, to God by the time it's all said and done. Bible says, look at verse number nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What promise? That he's coming again. As some men count slackness. Why hasn't he come yet? Why, look. He's long-suffering to usward, that not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, but the night of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and we see the Bible talks about here, he's coming, and he's faithful, he's true, and just like the Antichrist and all other world leaders rise to power writing the back of false statements, the Antichrist will say Israel will give you a peace treaty for seven years, and I'll help you, and there'll be peace in the Middle East, there will not be true peace. The Antichrist says those things rise into power and he's going to lie about it one thing we see and we know about our lord tonight that he's faithful and he's true and when it comes to what his word says tonight christian he's faithful he's true you might say pastor you're a little bit more animated tonight on a wednesday night i'm probably more tired this wednesday night than the past three combined but when you talk about the second coming of christ how can you not be excited for that day He's faithful and he's true. Let her see. We see he fights in righteousness. Look at verse number eleven of our text. It says, "And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And look at this. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. All down through history, there have been wars. Many have fought wars for very foolish." selfish reasons. In fact, you want to understand something about war in general. Where does war come from? The fact that we are all sinners. That's where war comes from. You say, are you against war? No, I'm not, because there's a time that there needs to be. And we saw that with Israel, and and they needed to. Aren't you glad for America and the freedoms that we have today that there were some that would stand up in the Revolutionary War and stand up for our freedom? And shame on us today to be backing down from what our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, and what our forefathers tried to set up for us. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to go back on all the things that was set up for us back in those days. And we've got to be very careful. We don't need to go back to that. We don't need socialism today. We don't need, and I could go through a list of all these things, but we'll save that for another time. This is about Jesus and his second coming. Well, what I want you to understand is this. People try in in war, try to put themselves in position and to be lord over people, and then people stand up and say, no, you will not reign over us, and war breaks out. When Jesus comes and the battle that takes place, this is not like that way. Jesus wages war, a righteous war. His cause is a just cause, He fights the battle of the Lord. We may like to think of Jesus as a man of peace, and he is the prince of peace. But I would like to also tell you something tonight, that God is also a man of war. And that's what the Bible makes clear in Exodus chapter 15, verse number 3. And certainly God will pursue peace, but if man will not repent, at some point God will step up and do what needs to be done. You see, he fights in righteousness. He will not allow unrighteousness and sin to go unchecked. We look in our world like, it seems like bad, that the devil's getting away with all these things and wickedness. People just get away with murder in this world. Oh, that day's coming. You reap what you sow. He fights in righteousness. Number two, we're talking about Jesus here and we see As we're looking here at the appearance of Jesus, number two, we see His names. Look at verse number 12 and 13. At the end of verse number 12, it says, And He had a name written that no man knew, but He Himself. And He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And His name is called the Word of God. And He had on His vesture and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, three new names are attached to him. And these names reveal much about his character and his person. Letter A, we see the name of mystery. The Bible tells us that Jesus has a name written on him that no man can know but he himself. People have tried to figure out, and there are so many commentaries out there, What is this name? You're not going to know. Say, Pastor, what is this name? No man knows. My guess would be, my guess, that because we truly don't understand who he really is, that's why we don't know the name. Because we don't fully comprehend who Jesus really is. Because if we did our lives, we would live them so differently. We would do so many things different than what we do but he has a mystery name. Some say that it's a mystery name because those that he's fighting have not trusted in him as their Savior. Whatever the case is, we know it's a mystery name. Letter B, we see a name of ministry. He's called the Word of God. This is the name of his ministry. Ever since God stepped on the scene, ever since that time, Jesus has ministered through his word. Let there be light. He spoke this world into existence. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He made the earth. He breathed life into man and gave them a living soul. And when he returns in power and glory, he will speak the word, and all his enemies will be slain in that day. Do you realize today that God speaks to us through his word? It's the word of God that revealed our sin. It's the word of God that points to a redeeming Savior. It's the word of God that tells us how to live. Today, the Word of God could be such a blessing in your life. However, if you don't read it and don't take heed to it, how can it minister to you and help you in your life? It's a name of mystery, a name of ministry, a name of majesty. Verse 16, And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I heard the stupidest thing i've ever heard not too long ago people are stupid and some of the stupidest people in this world should just keep their stupid mouths shut and this is one of them i had a guy try and say that the bible that it's okay to have tattoos because jesus has a tattoo a name written on his thigh give me a break First off, if Jesus wants to have a tattoo, he can do whatever he wants to do. But one thing I would say, and I know there are people that have so many different opinions on tattoos and things. Some people say, there's only one verse in the Bible that says that you shouldn't mark yourself. I believe if there's one verse that says that, that Jesus wouldn't do it to himself then. Because Jesus follows his own word. Say, but that was for The Jews, that wasn't for me. If you feel the tattoos are okay, you talk to God and take it up with Him. I'll tell you this. God wants His people to be a modest people, correct? When you're drawing attention to yourself by, people don't look at my tattoos. If you get a real bad one, people are going to notice it. You know. And then some people, they're younger, they get they get a little, a little yellow bird on their back and the next thing you know it's a big bird by the time they get older. And you don't even need to go into all those details. Russ, you, you told me that the other day. I know I butchered it. I didn't give it the full thing. But you say, well what's wrong with it? You and God figure it out, okay? I'm not going to tell you right or wrong for you. You figure out with God. But I'll tell you this, very rarely do you see someone get a tattoo when they're right with God. It's when they're in rebellion from God that they get them. And you say, Pastor, you're preaching at me. I'm not preaching at you, because there are a lot of dumb things I've done in my life. This praise God's not permanent ink to where it doesn't come off for me, you know. And I've heard it hurts more and costs more to get them off. And that's, you know, you figure it out for yourself. You say, Where does God stand on it? You know, get Jesus right here and just let everybody see it all the time. And figure out the tattoo thing yourself. But I will tell you this. Another principle in the Bible, and people don't like when I go off on principles in the Bible, but the Bible talks about that the thigh uncovered is nakedness, and it says that over and over again in the Bible, and not only for women, for men too. The priests were supposed to wear britches under their robes to keep their thighs covered up. So there's a Bible principle that God considers nakedness the thigh being shown, (laughs) <laughs> you say where and that's where people they get oh no i'm naked tonight where does the thigh end somewhere right around the above the knee somewhere in there you know i would say if you wear your Lakers shorts from the 1980s those that's not quite right okay <laughs> and why anybody would ever go with short shorts i don't understand that one and i don't think i don't think i could have been a basketball fan back in the 80s i would have that's gotten sick every time the game would come on. You know, praise God today they wear them. They're long today. They look like gangsters today, but it's okay because they're long. There's no nakedness for them. If we just get the cheerleaders to wear the long shorts too, that would be a lot better there. But my principle here, the thigh being uncovered is nakedness. That's a biblical principle. You say, I just don't know if I believe that. Then you go home and study it for yourself. You say, where, where do you draw that line? Where where are you you talk to God and you figure out, can it be one inch above my knee? Does that have to be two inches below my knee? Some people get so stuck on, so, it's like, do what's right. Keep your thigh covered up and love God. You don't do it because you're getting any closer to God or because God loves you more because you keep covered up. You do it out of love for him and what he's done for you. If God considers something wrong, you do what's right for his sake. Peter, your shorts are just fine, okay? Don't worry, you're okay. In my eyes, you'd be okay. Well, actually, uh, never mind, never mind. I'm going to stay off of that one. Stay clear of that. But what it's saying is that on Jesus' clothes, he has a name written on his thigh. You know, people do things like that today, which is immodest. A lot of uh, women's sweatshirts and uh, sweatpants, they have nice writing right on the backside of it and, right, and all those, that's immodesty again. Jesus Christ is King of kings. He's Lord of lords. Some of you are going to think tonight, oh boy, pastor just went off on things. If you don't want to follow the Bible, you do things your way. And read the book of Judges again and see what happens when we do things our way instead of God's way. You say, well pastor, I just don't think, then you do whatever the Lord leads you to do. But as for me and my house, we're gonna try and be biblical. And you might not want to be biblical, but as long as you come to this church, I'm gonna try and preach biblical principles to you. And if you want to go to a church where they don't, and you can go in a swimsuit to church on Sunday, go find one of those churches and go wear a swimsuit and be naked and be against God and do that. You can figure that one out for yourself. Whew, man, I'm getting a little worked up tonight talking about this second coming. He's coming. Day's gonna come. His title, the name of majesty. You know, when Pilate put on top of the cross, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, was he mocking him? Was he being halfway serious? No one truly knows. But I will tell you this he's not just the king of the Jews, he was also the king and is the king of the Romans. He's the king of kings and Lord of Lords. And someday everybody's going to see him for who he is. He's king of kings and Lord of Lords. And like it or not, and if this world I don't care what this world thinks, there's no one greater than Jesus. The name of majesty. Letter B, back to the big letter B whew, where are we at on time? Wow, 724. Say, Pastor, we're supposed to be talking about the second coming of Christ, and you talked about tattoos, you talked about modest dressing, you talked about all these things, and you you wonder, never mind, let's just keep on going. Here we go, letter B, letter B. You want a Bible-preaching church, that's a part of it. And there are many churches that don't cover those things. What I want in my life, and what you should desire in your life, is to please God. One of the things that made life good for me as a teenager was the day I decided to do my best to make my parents happy instead of trying to get myself make myself happy. You teens in the room, one of the best things you could ever learn as a teenager. Your parents, they are set in their ways. Are they always right? No, they're not always right, but they're your parents. And this is the thing. If you learn to please them, your life is so much better. You're like, could I, go, could I go to the store and buy this? And you haven't cleaned your room in a month. Probably not going to happen. But you do what you're supposed to do, and you're like, hey, I've got an activity, can I have money for that? Sure, you've done your job. It was much easier as a teenager when I decided to try and please and show my parents that I love them by my actions. In the Christian life, instead of butting heads with God, saying, God, I just don't know if I want to do what it says in your book. Say, God, I love you. And I want to make you happy. You see, some people get this crazy idea that you have standards and convictions and all these things, and that th- you have those, and you're going you're gonna to just, you're going to make God love you more. And life's gonna, it, you don't, God doesn't love you more. Have you been here for the book of Ephesians? His love's been settled forever. He loved you before you were even born. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. (laughs) But everything that we do, the love of Christ should constrain us. Hey, why do you go to church? Because I have to. If you had to go to church, God would literally walk you out the door, stick you in your car, and make your car pull up at church and drag you in the back door. That means God made you go. Why do you go to church? Because I love God. Why do I dress modestly? Because I love him. And I want the world to see that I love him. Why do I do what I do? Because I love God. He deserves it. And we'll leave off on all that, and maybe I'll get back to that some other time, but some people say pastor you're you're a compromiser on things i don't think many preachers preach what i just said right there and it's bible and it's true be the armies of jesus are we ready the armies of jesus every king has an army and the lord jesus is no exception when he comes there will be an army see something about this army in verse 14 it says "And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen white and clean isn't it a strange thing to send your warriors into battle in all white? Just like it, it's not smart. I got three boys. You don't send them to church or send them anywhere in all white clothes. That just isn't smart. You don't send them in black clothes. It doesn't get any better there. You should just send them in no clothes, but then that's nakedness. So you just got to keep that thigh covered up. <laughs> but the armies are in pure white why because we don't do anything we're just along for the ride oh you say we yeah don't you realize who the armies are they're us they're clothed in fine linen white and clean very similar to what we read a few verses up before here the armies that come are us do we have swords in our hands spears and shields and all this armor on no why because jesus doesn't need any help the battle is his, and he will win the victory. And it would help us in life to figure out that the battle's not ours to win today. He's already won the battle. Yeah. Yeah, we could go on there, but we'll stop there. I've got to keep on going. This is good stuff. He does all the fighting. We see letter C. We see the armaments of Jesus. When Jesus returns to fight this battle, he doesn't bring guns. He doesn't bring tanks. He doesn't bring artillery. There are no nuclear weapons brought. He merely brings his word. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to help men, and the same book that can help men has the power to judge men. Instead of needing a vast arsenal of weaponry, all Jesus needs is his words, and the enemies are defeated by his word. Isaiah eleven four, 4, the Bible tells us, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth, and with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. He literally spoke this world into existence, and he's going to take people out by his words. Something that's interesting here, and the Bible talked about in our text here in the book of Revelation, it says that he shall rule with a rod of iron. Do you see that phrase in verse number 15? 15. It says that he'll rule with a rod of iron. The word rule means to shepherd. After Jesus defeats his enemies, and they're defeated, the Lord Jesus will establish his kingdom and will lead his people on the earth like a shepherd leads his flock. He will in that day lead them beside all still waters and cause them to lay in green pastures. It also mentions in that same verse, in verse number uh, 15 in our text here, and he shall tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Think about that. Think of, uh, they used to, when they'd make wine and things, they would, literally, you would stomp on the grapes and do it that way. That just kind of grosses me out to think of feet being in there. And uh, hopefully they washed them good before they went in there. But think about this, like a man crushing grapes under his feet to force them to release their juice. Jesus Christ will crush the world under his feet and will crush all the life out of every opponent of righteousness in God. It will be a terrible day. We see number one, his coming is visible. Number two, his coming will be violent. His coming will be violent. We see letter A, and we saw it in verse 17. The fowls are to be called. The slaughter is so great that literally the birds are called to clean up the mess. Revelation 14:20 tells us that the blood will be to the horse's bridle. See that there, and the wine press was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the wine press even unto the horse's bridle. Think about a horse standing, a horse standing there. Where's the bridle go to on a horse? right around the mouth. That's a lot of blood. And you also see next week I'll, I was going to do the calculation and I left it in my office. I'll bring out next week what 1,600 furlongs is. So a horse's bridle and 1,600 furlongs. I'll give you that total next week, how long that really is. We see the fowls are to be called and then we see letter B, the flesh is to be consumed. Do you notice you could look at verse 17 and 18 and see the fact that it doesn't matter if you're a captain, if you're a mighty man, if you're a king, if you're poor, rich, whatever the case may be. It's all consumed the same. Your money, your position, your power, your intellect, your everything will be gone. It means nothing. We see His coming will be visible. We see His coming will be violent. And number three and lastly... We see his coming will be victorious. We talked about a couple of weeks ago how the Euphrates River is going to be dried up. That's going to help make way for an army from China in that area to head towards Jerusalem. And also you're going to have Russia and that area up there, they're going to be coming through. And why do you think Syria and that whole area, Damas- why that area is important. It all plays out in the end. There's going to be an army that comes from that way. And everybody's going to come together near Israel. The Valley of Megiddo, the Battle of Armageddon. Napoleon looked over the valley there and said, it's one place where you could have one of the greatest wars of all time because there's so much space for everything to take place. And that battle is going to come. All these armies are going to come together with the Antichrist. You see mentioned in these last couple of verses, you see the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. The false prophet, we know who he is. And Satan himself. And we see letter A that Earth's armies will be drawn to Armageddon. You see what will happen is they're all coming for a battle, technically with Israel. But what's going to happen is Jesus is going to be coming and all these people who haven't gotten along in a, a very long time are all of a sudden going to have one common goal. To take out the one that's coming. His, he'll speak his word and when that happens letter B, we see earth's armies will be destroyed at Armageddon. Verse 20 and 21 tell us how everything finishes up. The beast and the false prophet, they don't even get bound in hell for the thousand years. They're sent right to judgment. They're cast alive into the lake of fire. There are many people who believe that in a doctrine called the doctrine of annihilation, where when you go to hell, or when you go to the lake of fire, you annihilate And that's the end of you. But we'll see in a couple weeks that after the millennial reign of Christ, a thousand years, that the beast and the false prophet are still alive in the lake of fire. See, those without Christ right now, they're in hell. The Bible tells us, and what we see, and let me give you these last two points and I'll round everything off. We see number one underneath letter B, we see the devilish duo are destroyed. Throughout the tribulation, the Antichrist and false prophet lead many people in deception. And the Lord will judge them and send them and cast them alive into the lake of fire. And Jesus claims victory over them. Satan will be bound and placed in hell, bottomless pit for a thousand years. His final judgment doesn't come till after that time. And it's so crazy to me that he gets out one more time and that he deceives people after the millennial reign of Christ. And there will be unsaved people still around during the millennial reign of Christ that turn. And you'll, we'll look at all that when we talk about the millennial reign of Christ next Wednesday night if we get to it. And then we see letter B, or number two, and lastly, the doomed multitudes are destroyed. You know, we read these things. And what a day when Jesus comes again. This world's not ready for it. That's why it's important that we witness. It's important that we have our fall festivals that we do. Why it's important we invite people to church there are many people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can praise God for the fact that if you're safe sitting in this room tonight, you're not going to be here when that supper of the great God takes place. You're going to get to see your king lead the charge. We'll basically be cheerleaders watching Jesus take care of everything. Someday, every knee's going to bow, and every tongue's going to confess who Jesus is. And that's what the second coming is all about. Father, we thank you for the time we've had tonight in your word. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love. Bless your people tonight pray you bless the rest of our week. Help us live for you. I pray that you'd help us and guide us. Help us do what's right. Help us to live for you. And help us to witness and to do our very best till you come. And I can't wait for that day when we get to see you face to face. can't wait for the day when this world finally will claim you to be God. You so deserve it. You've been so ridiculed. You've been so despised. You've been so abused. Can't wait for the day when you will be recognized for who you are. Help us live in light of who you are today and live for you. Bless the rest of our week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed.